Hey, this is Stu Holden, and you're listening to the U.S. Soccer Podcast with Jordan and what's that other guy's name? Oh, uh, Charlie with Charlie, too. This is crazy. This is absolutely insane. Such at a loss for words. I mean, I'll find them. Don't worry. Do I like playing against adversity? Man, I just like playing, period. I'm just, I'm shocked, and I'm so proud of our guys, man. Unbelievable. Putting the crest on every single time means something to me. Hey everyone, it's Jordan and Charlie, and welcome back to the show. We're back together, Charlie. Good to see you. It's always great to see you. And it's game week. Let's go. We it's are about thrilled. time. Yeah, we. it is about time. And we're thrilled to welcome former U.S. men's national team player and soccer analyst, Stu Holden. Stu, what's going on? Hi, guys. How are you both? It's fantastic to see both of your wonderful faces. And I've been waiting for the call-up. Uh, it has been a number of months. I, you know, I, I check out your guys' podcast to see all these wonderful guests, and I'm thinking, when am I ever going to get the call? And then Charlie texted me to come on. I was super stoked. You know, we had to, we had to make sure you were working for it. You had, you had to be informed. We wanted to make sure you were, you were ready. And when you peaked, that's when you get your opportunity. Okay, so. that's, that's when it's my time? Yeah. All right. So I'm now ready to shine, baby. You got it. I'm ready you to shine. <laughs> Thanks for responding to Charlie's text message because we know that I, I've just been told. It was good yeah, that well, he got I mean, a response. Charlie's have a special like ding that like when they come through, I know I need to get back to um, within three days. Within three days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the L.A. That, that L.A. air has gotten to his head a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, know, it happens, bro. Come on over to the night. <laughs> the good side. Yeah. No, here. thank you. I'm good. Best coast, best coast. Mm -mm. <laughs> well, it's been a few months. It seems like years since we've seen the men's national team get to play a match. But before we get into the game, because. We've got a ton of questions, I think, about what we're expecting, what you're expecting, what do you want to see. We got to know, how have you been? How's the family been? How are you guys doing out there in Cali? Uh, we're good. I, I, I'm underneath the staircase here. This is the studio that I kind of put together in the middle of COVID chaos, uh, and it has stuck. I kind of like it. It's like my getaway. I tell uh, my wife, Carolyn, I'm like, hey, I got some calls, some meetings, and like two hours later, she's like, what were you doing under there? Um, no, but we're good. I mean, uh, we had our second child four and a half months ago, so that is our family complete. We have a boy, we have a girl. Uh, it has been up utter chaos in this house for a number of months, but it's all kind of getting back to normal. I took my first flight in seven months, which was insane uh, because I just used to travel so much and I haven't traveled. It's been kind of nice, honestly. And work is like soccer is back and it has been back and there've been lots of games and it's like every Wednesday, Saturday. And honestly, I'm so pumped for the national team to be back uh, playing an actual uh, game again. It is, feels like it has been an eternity. And when we last saw the national team to now, there's like exponentially more excitement about you know where this team is headed and, and where it is right now. You're not lying. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, so let's get down to business. We're recording this Wednesday, November 11th less than 24 hours before the U.S. kicks off against Wales. So, Stu, you'll be calling the game for Fox Sports 1, which we're accustomed to seeing you on there with those pearly whites. Um, <laughs> so, of course, we need to get your thoughts uh, ahead, of, ahead of time. When you look at this roster, when it came out, were there any surprises for you on who was included or who was excluded? Uh, first of all, 
I'm not sure I can handle like this, like, you know, this Charlie Davies, like serious persona. <laughs> it feels like, weird. He huh? leaned in and like got real serious on his short, like, and he came with like the sexy voice. He was like, Stu, uh, it's been a while before the U.S. men's national team has last played. And hey. I really need to know. I was like, oh, my He's bringing gosh, it for you, like, Stu. This is getting intense here. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I, I looked at this roster, and I, I would say one of the surprises, I know he hasn't played much this year, is DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, he's, he's kind of on the outs at Newcastle. But, you know, he should, in theory, be the starting right back for this team or in the mix with Reggie Cannon and with Serginho Dest um, when he is healthy and when he is, uh, you know, 100%. Uh, he's in the mix, Charlie. I didn't say he's starting, all right? Don't give me those oh, You said starting right back. I said he's in the mix. I said he's in the mix. Side eye. Wait, wait. You act like. Hold on a minute. You act like that's like some ludicrous off the wall statement for a guy that was has been playing consistently in the Premier League for the last ha two years. Yes, has been. Okay, not, so like not three months, he's a bad player now. No one said bad player, but we're talking Sergio Dest. But I play. You who's can play at Barcelona? On the left playing. No, he's a right back. He's a right uh, back. I'm well, always. Well, you know as well as I know. Back for Barcelona. You then. know as well as I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it it is. You know as well as I know. Play on the national team where you play with your club. So you're in a rhythm. There's that consistency. You're not going from all over one place to another. We saw with Christian Pulisic. When he's on the wing where he's been his whole career, in that left wing spot where he can come inside, he dazzles. He amazes. In the midfield, as a number 10, all of a sudden he's surrounded by three, four, five players. It doesn't look the same. There's that. There's that. that um, you're not in a rhythm. You, you don't have that consistency. When he's on the wing, he, he shines. And I think this is going to be the same thing with Serginho Dest. And now you have somebody who who you hope for can take the next step in Anthony Robinson at left back. So you keep Serginho Dest at right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. But he, he for Barcelona, is actually playing both positions. And I feel like a fullback like Serginho Dest, who's, who can play with his left and his right foot, in many ways you can kind of interchange. And Greg Berhalter, what we've seen, what we like from him is that his tech, tactical flexibility. So if you have a guy like Serginho Dust that can come in on the left, you can play him on the right. I think it gives him options. So I, I'm not disagreeing with you that I think Serginho Dust's best position would be as a right back. But I think it also gives you the possibility to play him as a left back and then give you a guy like Yedlin or Cannon that will just get up that right flank and play as a high winger. So it, it's a good problem to have, right? Like this is kind of what, what uh, Jordan, what you were talking about before. It's been a while since we've seen this national team. And you're in a position now I was putting together last night ahead of the game, a depth chart for this team and like trying to do like my best three in each position. And man, it was hard, like hard in a good way compared to previously where you basically had your best 11. And beyond that, I was thinking like, who could, who can push these guys who can get in to this lineup. And now you have the Chris Richards and you have the Reggie cannons playing in Europe. And you have a guy like Yedlin, who's not an automatic starter. You have Josh Sargent, you have, you know, Josh Zardes is playing well in MLS. Um, so th there's a lot of really good options, I would say for, for this team right now. I actually want to get into almost each line of the field and see where, if we can really dissect what you like and what you're looking forward to seeing tomorrow. Let's start with the goalkeeper. We've had Zach Steffen on a couple of times actually on the show. And most re recently he was talking about just adapting to being in Manchester with Manchester City and the training sessions. Well, he's not getting a lot of playing time. Do you feel like that training environment is going to help him continue to develop and that behind the scenes work is enough right now? 
Yeah, I took a lot of flack, I think, on on Twitter and uh, U.S. men's national team soccer when I said it, probably five months ago now, it feels like time has been standing still. But I said that Brad Guzan, if I was playing a qualifier at that time tomorrow, I would have started Brad Guzan over Zach Steffen. And, you know, as time has gone on over the course of this year, look, Zach Steffen last year in the Bundesliga, he really improved as a goalkeeper. But towards the end of the year, he didn't play very well. He had a number of injuries. He couldn't get over these knee injuries that have been plaguing him for probably a year. And then it was announced he was going to go to Manchester City, where we all knew he was not going to be the starter. I, I would say um, I can see the benefits of being in a Pep Guardiola team and the players and the shots that he's facing every single day in training. He's getting, uh, it looks like, every single cup game for them, which is really important for him to play at that level. I'm interested, I will say, to see Zach Steffen's now progression over the course of the next six months. But if I was going to start a game tomorrow, Zach Steffen's playing you know, three games, cup games a month or something, I would start him in goal. Brad Guzan hasn't had a great season with Atlanta United. Atlanta United have been poor. And right now, Zach Steffen would be my number one. But I don't think it's as cut and dry as like, no matter what Zach Steffen does, he's the starter for this team. I, I think it's still good to have the healthy competition from a Brad. Uh, Ethan Horvath playing a little bit more again. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not sure if Charlie agrees with me or Jordan, if you agree with me as well on that. But Zach Steffen right now, I, I think it's still important for him to continue improving as a keeper and not just get caught as the backup at Man City. And then we see him in a year's time and he's like, mm. yeah. Charlie, you have two minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Jordan. You know, I agree. I agree. I agree with you. Um, initially, when when he goes over, he's he's at the Bundesliga. He's getting all those minutes. He's playing well. The reason why he started to go down was obviously his knee. He started feeling that, and that forced him out. But since he's been at Manchester City, being in that environment, being tested constantly, when he talked about Raheem Sterling and, and KDB firing off these shots. Um, you are expected to play and perform at a certain level, even in training. And that, that level is your best every week. And he talked about learning from, from some of the keepers, um, not only Ederson, but the goalkeeper coach and, and Scott Carson. Um, I think he, he's done a, a great job of just continuing to adapt. And for me, now he's the, he's the clear one, I, I believe, at this point, even you know, with getting those cup games. After I, I push back games. on that because you, you know as well as I do, like p- training versus a game is... Yes you know, it's so different. It's hard to replicate. So I do think at a point, like let's say it was a year of Zach Steffen at Man City and he's played six games. I don't know if I, I feel as comfortable with him being the guy no matter what and like knowing that he has the shirt and kind of relaxing. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, but as of now, for me, he's the clear one. Um, but I'm interested to know in your depth chart, how how far away is Braguzan? How far away is Ethan Horvath? Uh, Matt Turner, who who's been stellar this oh, year, major guy, soccer. Yeah, you know, you had hey, to get the Revs guy in. There. Top three, <laughs> top three. He's a finalist for goalkeeper of the year. You can't leave him off the list. Um, the only American uh, on the list. So, I mean, I feel like the United States. You know, since the Casey Kellers and Friedels and Tim Howard and Goose, when it was those two for a while. You know, we haven't had that clear standout number one guy. Zach Steffen has kind of emerged as that. And then you have, I would say, Guzan is your two. And then there's a real muddle for like number three. You know, it's kind of interchanging with, uh, it was almost like Nick Romando at that, at that time was the, uh, the other number three. But you do have Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson's probably still in the mix. Bill Hamid's probably still in the mix. Those two have been in the mix for 10 years. 
So, you know, I don't think they're ever going to really push for the number one position. So I'm curious, who's that next group, that next crop of keepers that we're Cody Cropper, uh, speaking of keepers, you know, guys like that, that are going to come through and say, okay, I'm, I, I can take that number one shirt. But Zach Steffen's what, how old is he? 20, 25, 26. Yeah. I mean, he could play for the next 15 years. <laughs> also true. Well. And retire a couple of times and come back. I mean, yeah. you do whatever you want. Uh, Okay, we're going to go to the back line. Chris Richards, John Brooks, Serginio Des, Anthony Robinson, Tim Ree, Matt Miazga, Reggie Cannon. That's the mix. What's your ideal group here that you want to combo together and see play in these next couple of games? Yeah, you know, we, we talked to Greg Berhalter earlier today, and I, I asked Greg that question because I said, look, I, I feel like when the best 11 are available, your, your forward line essentially picks itself. You have a choice at striker, but you have Pulisic, Reyna, McKenney, Adams, you know, and Musa potentially as well. Uh, we'll see what, you know, who kind of develops there. But the back line to me feels like an area that you can kind of plug and change. And I don't feel like we have two center backs that I say, that's my pairing. I do think John Brooks is just consistently good for Wolfsburg. I would say he's yet to kind of replicate that same type of form for the national team. Now, what do you put that down to? Has he had the right partner? And then you have, I would say there's, there's probably six guys that I would say could be a starter there. Mark McKenzie, uh, who's not in this camp, but I think is a huge talent. Uh, Walker Zimmerman's had a great year with uh, Nashville. Matt Miazga's playing a little bit at Anderlecht. Um, I, I don't see him as a starter for this team. And then Chris Richards, who's played, I think, a couple games for Bayern. He's probably a couple years from being, you know, the, the actual starter uh, for this team. So, you know, who, who, do I, who do I play? Tim Ream, too. I mean, there's, there's like a ton of players I would see in this game. Anthony Robinson get a shot at left back because I think he's been playing well for Fulham. I'd like to see John Brooks. Uh, Chris Richards next to him. And then on the right side, I'd like to see Serginho Dest. And I wouldn't be opposed to then Serginho on the left and Reggie Cannon as a right back. But really, I feel like the back line is something if this team is to succeed in 22 and to qualify for 22, you want to have a back four. Charlie, you remember the teams with, uh, you know, Steve Chirundolo and Bocanegra and Gooch and Demerit. And like, you just knew what your team was and that was it. And let mm -hmm. the other guys go and win the game. So that's what I'm curious to see. Not to mention Tim Howard in, in behind them. So, <laughs> yeah, that that guy. Yeah, that guy. Uh, I do want to follow up with that center back question because you name all these people, and I think it's a really underappreciated combination of players on the field. How those two players next to each other really have to balance each other's strengths at times and weaknesses at times. And so I think that that challenge when you're naming all those players is to figure out and try those different combinations and see how they really work. And are you going to have enough time to do that? Yeah. And I think about what Greg wants as a center back and, th and that becomes incredibly important because you could just tell, you could say two center backs and those are our best guys, but do they fit his system and the ability to play out of the back or be flexible. I mean, that's why a guy like Tim Ream is in the mix. He's a left-footed center back. He can pass well. I don't think he's a starter for this team. John Brooks probably has all the qualities, tall, physical, good in the air, uh, can pass well, has a good left foot. Mark McKenzie, by the way, plays left center back for Philly. He's right-footed. Like the guy hits 40-yard dimes, cross-field diagonals with his left foot. And I'm like, it took me a couple games of covering him to realize he's actually right-footed. So in essence, if he's playing as the right center back, he becomes a natural fit there. So we'll see what develops. But it is, I do totally agree with you that it's how do you find the right two guys that match the system but also match each other? And I, I think if you say John Brooks is my guy and he's going to be our guy through 22, you have to find the best 
center back that matches his qualities and, and plays the best off of him. Well said, my man. So let's get to the meat of the squad. Um, you were a midfielder. And I'm really curious on your take here. So you have Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, uh, Eunice Musa, Owen Odasawi, Johnny Cardoso, Richie Ledesma, and Sebastian Legette. Wh- who's your three? And, and, where, and where are they situated? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I feel like even Gio Reyna, you could play him inside. I'd be interested in seeing him as a, as a ten, in one of the two tens that Greg plays. But I, I would say for me right now, Tyler Adams is the number six. And that's only been a recent, I would say that's a lock for me. I, I think before Tyler hadn't really played the six alone in the system that matches the U.S.'s. And I would say his longer range passing is where I used to give Michael Bradley a nod there. But watching Leipzig this season and seeing Tyler as a number six and really just kind of commanding the, and, and controlling the tempo of a game and taking control of that midfield, it's, it's him there. I have McKinney off to the right of him. And then I would I'd love to see what Musa can bring uh, in, in that midfield three. And you have a great option in Sebastian Legette. I think you could even play Brendan Aronson in there as well when he's in as part of that group. And then, I, you know, I, I think still you're going to end up with – Pulisic out wide left. You're going to have Gio Reyna, I think, is one of those tens, and Jordan Morris on that right-hand side. If there was a midfielder um, play, currently playing in MLS, who would be inserted into this um, into this mix? Uh, from the midfield? Yes. I would say Aronson. I think Aronson has taken taken a leap forward in in his development this year. Um, I have you're catching me off the top of my head, so I'm yeah. Like to what about like um and Eric Williamson at Portland? I think Eric Williamson, Hassani Dotson. But, but where would you play? Here's my thing with Eric Williamson. Do you play him as one of the tens? Because he's not as an out and out six. Like yeah, he's uh, one of the he's tens. Drive next to Chara this yeah, year. Yeah, one of the tens who who can do who can do play both sides of the ball. I mean, Christian Roldan is still you know a good like role player, squad player that I mm-hmm. think you know could could have a say. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting because everyone was like, oh, it's an all European roster. These guys are still in the playoffs in MLS, right? I think you need to pump the brakes on that. But I, I still think there's probably six or seven guys that if you had to pick a 23 would come from MLS at least. Who, who excites you the most though of, of this current midfield group outside of Gio Reyna? Who has the highest ceiling in your mind? Of, of the guys that are in camp right now? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Musa is just the one that you want to see. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, I'll be completely you know frank. I, I didn't know anything about this kid until uh, two months ago when his name came you know, on the radar and was playing at Valencia and you start to watch his highlights and you look and he's got a little bit of it, you know, a little bit of an X factor that he can with his pace and and his dribbling ability and his ability with his just his pure strength in the middle of the field to kind of run a game. So I would love to see another, another big, uh, uh, you know, another big player come out of that midfield. Imagine dominating midfields or, or going midfield against midfield with big, big name teams. And you have, McKenny Adams and like a, a force in Musa or Reyna. You got me hyped. All right. I, I didn't know what you were doing over there. You were giving, I thought you were like telling me to, you know, <laughs> watch out. I'm going to come get you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, he's just feeling, I think you're really pumping him up. I, my question next was, does this midfield have the potential to be one of the best the U S men's national team has ever seen? You know, outside of the like uh, Holden, Bradley, Dempsey, Donovan. Yeah. I mean, right. You right. Know, uh, no. <laughs> no, you're not. That's why I had to ask it. I had to yeah, ask he's it in he's, there. No, he's kidding. No, he's not. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not really. Um, here, here's what I'll say, though. I, I think, um, 
you know, we have a tendency to become a, a prisoner of the moment and we forget, we forget so quickly the past teams of U.S. soccer. And I, I hear this going around a lot right now. And this is, this is undoubtedly one of the most exciting generations we've had of, of younger players. And they're playing at bigger clubs than any players have played at in the past. But it doesn't mean we forget the, the Dempseys, the Donovans, the, you know, um, these guys, the John O'Briens and, you know, Claudio guys Reynas, that, yeah. Claudio Reynas. Yeah. I mean, the, the list goes on, right. And guys that have played at big teams and had significant impact. So I would say it's an exciting time. It has the potential to be a, a, one of the best midfields we've ever seen. If you talk about Adams, McKenney, Reyna, Pulisic, Jordan Morris, what, you know, but these guys have barely stepped. I think Pulisic, McKenney and Adams have been on the field once together, if I'm correct. And, so, you know, I don't know what this team is going to look like. And so does this team have the ability to get us on the edge of our seat and really take it to Wales and take it to some of these teams? Time will tell. Um, so I'm, I'm not getting caught up in hyping this team to the point where it's like the best national team ever. We have to remember what the last two years have been for this group. So. Yep. Perspective. Indeed. Throw it it's on them. Throw it on them. Hey, throw it on them. <laughs> <Just laughs> gasoline on it and let it go. And I, I like, you know, a couple days later, you're like, oh, crap, I need to put that fire out. Like, I started this, like, hype train. Yeah. Uh, forwards. Soto, De La Fuente, Pulisic, Weah, Yanez, Reyna, Joaquini. Who, who do you expect leads the line? Um, how, how, how potent is this, this trio? Yeah, I'm, I'm bummed that Sargent had to uh, withdraw because I, I feel like getting consistent games with uh, Werder Bremen, he's not a guy that's going to score, you know, 20 games a season. He's not going to be near on the goals with Josie and, and Clint and Landed. But I think Josh adds a lot more to the game uh, in terms of his hold-up play and his movement. And I think with the, the two guys, let's say if it's Pulisic and Morris, that could really run in behind, he gives you a really great ability from the number nine to pass. So, uh, you know, Soto, I, I'm interested in seeing. I, I think he, he's, he's definitely got some potential. He's scoring a couple goals with Telstar right now. The wide areas, though, I mean, th that's where, you know, Conrad De La Fuente is yet to really make his debut for Barcelona, but we've seen the hype. I'm excited to see him get an opportunity. Pulisic has been sent uh, back to Chelsea at this point. We know what he's going to bring. Nobody needs to see Captain America balling it out for the national team, although we'd love to see him with this mix of players. Um, and then on the other side, I think on the right side, there's, there's spots to be earned. You know, I, I think we might see Gio Reyna start wide right. He's not a player that's going to, you know, take you down the line and beat you with pace. He's a guy that's going to try and connect, play between the lines, you know, make some runs in behind at the same time. So, look, I mean, Charlie, the thing I would say just across the board is I'm excited to see the pieces together. We mm -hmm. have some great jigsaw pieces. How do you plug those into the lineup? What does it actually look like in a game setting? who kind of rolls their sleeves up and, you know, leads this team forward. And, you know, what, what is the character of the team actually look like on the field and does it match the potential that this group really has? Well, with that being said, and knowing there aren't too many players on this roster who have had experience at the full team international level, have you set expectations? Do you have expectations of what these maybe upcoming matches can look, are, are going to look like? Or I feel like what you're saying there is there's a lot of unknowns Let's watch them and evaluate them for what they are. I think what I would say and what my hope is for the team is that after these games, there is hope. And, you know, there's hope right now. But does it, do the performances match that? And yeah. do they give us something to be excited about? Because, 
you know, I was joking earlier with uh, Alexi Lalas about like U.S. soccer Twitter, you know, USMNT had uh, the, the handle. If you looked at that for the past year and a half, I mean, the replies are almost comical to the extent that it was like anything, you know, they could say went for a nice walk today. The weather's sunny. It'd be like, you guys suck. Like, why didn't you qualify for the World Cup? You know, blah, blah. And then now it's like a tweet of a passing drill today or possession drill. And it's like, we're going to win the World Cup. Oh, my gosh. 25 <laughs> passes. We're, you know, we're the best team on the planet. And so there's like optimism and there's hope there. And we all know how quickly you can lose that. So I, I think while having perspective that this, you know, might not, you know, this isn't going to tell us everything about this team you need to see some traces. You need to see some things that you can grab onto some trends from this team that, that say, Hey, the national team is back. We have some real excitement there. And guess what? For 22, we're going to be all right. Uh, there, there have been a number of former U S men's national team players, myself included that have said there are strong resemblances with this, with U S teams of old. Have you felt the same way when you, when you see these guys, just think of our Olympic team, right. And just watching them. I do. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think back to that Olympic team is one of the most fun teams I've ever been a part of. And um, we're all still good friends to this day. And that comes from a, I, I would say that we're, you know, similar personalities off the field and, and everybody kind of came through youth national teams together, but, but B I would say Charlie, and I think this is really important for this group is you look at the guys next to you and there's real quality and you know, you don't have to hesitate when you play a pass and you can, you can smash a ball in to you and you're going to take it back to goal. Or if I put a, a ball on the platter for you from 40 yards out in Azteca Stadium, you're going to head it wide and we're all going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't let that one go. Huh? You can't let that one go. That clip and the yeah, one from Honduras. It. You can't oh, let that one go. You, man. The Honduras one, I'm like, oh my God, that, that's a gimme. Um, Azteca is not a gimme. Yeah, that's not a gimme. That thing was moving all over the place. Yeah, (laughs) but but it's it's a true thing though. You know, when you have confidence in your teammates and you don't have to second guess them, and you look around and everybody has a similar level quality quality to you. I think Pulisic a year and a half ago with this team, when he got to some of these international games against you know friendlies, he's thinking probably, oh my gosh, you know that this is like training. He's frustrated. Games, he's frustrated. Now it's like, Weston, give me the ball. Josh, come lay off. Gio, I'm pinging a 40-yard ball to you. Take your guy on. Like, we, we can do this. That, that's a really good thing for this team. Yeah, and that confidence breeds something that, in just knowing what those other players are capable of, I think it really allows you to start on a, a level and of that confidence, but breed so much out of it. So there's a lot of exciting things to be excited about for this next few days. The newbies in camp, who are you most hopeful will get some quality minutes? Like if you're looking at these friendlies, are you, are you hoping everybody gets some quality minutes? Is that what you're looking at, of, at or are you looking for cohesion? We've said Musa a number of times already in this podcast. So I think I'm going to leave him uh, out of this and start to look at some of the other players that, you know, you can talk about getting some minutes. I mean, Ulianas is an interesting one that I, you know, he scored, I believe uh, in his debut, was it back in the January camp? Mm-hmm. Like feels yeah. like an eternity ago. Yeah. So, Two years you know, ago, he, at least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, the other one though, I, I would say who's only got seven caps is Anthony Robinson, because the last time we saw him or I called his games, it was against Colombia, And then I think it was against Mexico and like, boy, he had a oh, Brazil as well. Brazil, Douglas Costa. I mean, 
I, I think Anthony was having uh, nightmares about that for about a month after. But, you know, it was back to baptism by fire for him. And I would say that player, that young player that was on loan at Wigan, who's now playing week in, week out in the Premier League for Fulham and mm-hmm. seeing some of the ways in which he's improved as a defender. You know, the U.S. has been crying out for an actual left back for years. Can he be that guy? I'm interested to see and monitor his performances as part of that. So he, he's one for sure. And then Johnny Cardoso, I, you know, I, I don't know much about him. I've been doing some of my research and looking at his games down in Brazil. And, you know, he seems super excited to be a part of this camp as well. And I, I'm curious to see what, what he can bring as well as uh, – Oh, to Sowie. What's a Sowie. There yeah. we go, yeah. Hey, you know, I'm curious to know what, what you think about this. So a lot of these newcomers, guys like Yunus Musa – are eligible to represent other countries uh, like yourself. You know, you were a dual national. What went into that decision of deciding to play for the U.S.? And as teammates who, who try to recruit a little bit and, and really try and sell you on representing the USA, do you, do you feel like, you know, Greg Berhalter is in a good place to get these these players who, who could possibly represent other countries to say, hey, this is a new generation. These are young guys, not a really established national team where you're going to get that playing time. We can offer you that here. You're going to get a chance as opposed to trying to break into an established national team. It's a good question, a good topic, uh, because, you know, I my hope, and, and this was for me, I didn't really have a choice, to be honest, at the time when the U.S. came calling. It wasn't like Scotland were knock banging my down my door you know, for a, uh, a fight for, a, you know, a, a frosted tipped midfielder from the Houston Dynamo before I'd made <laughs> the move to, uh, to Bolton. But, you know, in retrospect, it would have been interesting. I don't think it would have been a decision for me because I'd spent so much of my life in the United States and I had played at youth national teams and I dreamed of playing for the U S so, you know, a lot of these other players or younger players. And you think about the choices that they have between either Mexico and the United States or, you know, players coming from Europe or guys like, you know, Fabian Johnson and Jermaine Jones that could have played for Germany or could have played for the United States. My hope is, and I think that the U.S. shouldn't have to sell themselves. You know, you, you get to the point where you're not actually having to actively recruit players that they want to play and they want to be a part of that. Because I, I ultimately feel if a guy is like, you know, really struggling on a decision and he's not really sure and maybe that he's not going to be fully committed to to what you're doing and and will always be looking in the rearview mirror about oh I wish I'd taken this path or I wish I'd played for this country and I love having seen Sergio Dest and the way that he handled it with the Netherlands and with the United States because he turned down a call up for the US he wanted to make sure in his heart he felt that it was it was the right decision for him he turned down a Netherlands call up because Ronald Koeman was was uh, was pushing him there as well and, um, you know, he, he ultimately sided and made his decision to play for the U.S. And I see a guy now that comes into camp. He's got a big smile on his face. He's excited to integrate into the group. And he is, like, hungry to perform. And he continues in the interviews. He talks about how exciting this group is and the other players. Like, that's a perfect example, I think, of how you'd hope it would go. And a guy that's made a decision, feels good about it, and feels proud to represent the United States because it is a real honor to represent your country and a country that you feel so much towards. And so, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I, I hope Greg has created an incredible environment that these guys come in. Yunus Musa steps into camp the first time, and he loves it. He loves the guys, and he's willing to just say, that's it, file my paperwork, let's go, I'm American, you know? As we're recording this, it's Wednesday. You're calling the game tomorrow on FS1, but I got to know, Charlie and I are both in broadcasting too. 
we need to know, how do you prepare for this game with all of these newcomers coming in? How many games did you watch Stu Holden in preparation for this is what we need to know. I'm very familiar with the Instat website, or, you know, you can use Scout as well, I guess. But, you know, it's just honestly, it's searching players' names and watching. I typically, if it was like an MLS game, I would watch the two team, the two games prior to the team, uh, the, the game that we're about to do and, you know, look at patterns of play. And with the national team, honestly, it's really hard this time because they haven't played a game since March against Costa Rica. They haven't played a really competitive game, like going way back to Nations League now. Uh, so, you know, what tomorrow is going to be like, like is more of a focus on actual individual players and you know, some of the guys that I'm not familiar with and just catching up on, let's say, Weston and Tyler's form and what they've been doing in their in their teams. But I would say to me, the focus tomorrow is more about big picture. What does this team look like? What do the players, the new players look like? Who can actually contribute and be a part of the larger group? Because I think that's that's the key storyline. It's it's not going to be as much of X and O's and breaking down Burhalter's system tomorrow. It's going to be, you know, evaluating, I think, individual and a team performance against Wales and seeing something like we've continued to say that, that gives us all hope. You know, and, and you, you, you move me with your words, and that, that rarely happens. Um, so I, I commend you. you. You've grown up a little bit. Oh, um, thanks. Maybe it was thanks. the second kid. But um, <laughs> let's, let's get into your career because this is something that, that I'm, I'm really curious. Um, you know, I haven't asked you some of these questions for as long as we, we've been together. Oh. Don't make me pull out the Bolton jersey right now. Look at that. Um, I got the Charlie Davies nine. And, uh, and so, you know, you've had a, a very successful career in Europe um, as well as with the, the U.S. men's national team. And we've kind of been with each other every step of the way. Um, but you also won trophies in Major League Soccer. What was special about your time in Houston? You know, start starting there. Um, you know, you, you went over to to Sunderland, um, didn't work out. Came back to to Houston, and then you kind of took off. Houston for me, I, I've said this before, and working with um, Dominic Kinnear and being a part of that team, which I, I joined a really good team in two thousand six, and. I was not a starter. I, I think I, I played maybe a handful of games or I, I think like 10 or 12 my first year. But, you, you know, I was behind the best midfield in, in, in MLS with Dwayne D'Arizario and Ricardo Clark and Brian Mullen and Brian uh, with Brad Davis. And I, I credit those years, though, for helping me grow as a professional and as a person uh, and, and, and fueling my competitive drive. I, I've always been a massive competitor. I've always wanted to win. I think I took my talent for granted for a number of years and especially going back to Clemson because I think it came, it came easier to me and I didn't really have to push myself to that next level to be good. And when I got to Houston, I, I, I had a wake up call of, I remember Dom Kinnear and John Spencer sitting me down and saying, what do you want from your career? You know, do, do you want to just be a, a guy that was known for being talented and played, you know, played as a bench player or played, you know, a couple minutes here and there, or do you want to be, a, a guy that can go on and play in Europe and you want to play for the national team. And it kind of struck a chord with me of like, Hey, you're 20 years old now. Don't get caught in neutral, push, you know, push the, push the pedal to the metal. And, and really, I would say at that point, I focused on nutrition. I, I focused on the weight room and, and ultimately I was knocking on Dom's door twice a week saying, I need to play. I need to play. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Scoring goals in reserve games, you know, pushing Dero and pushing Rico and taking minutes off the bench and then just every year improving to a point where I was a starter for that team and took the keys from Dero when 
Houston traded him to, to Toronto. And I would say that year, 2008, 2009, from the Olympics on is when I just hit the next gear as a player. And the next, I, I credit Major League Soccer for that. And I wouldn't have gotten to the Premier League had I not had that experience and I'd not been, you know, fighting with Brian Ching in practice over a throw-in or, you know, a punch up in, in training with Dame, Dwayne De Rosario and, you know, just over like me going head to head and pushing him, it pushed me to be a better player. And uh, I never forget, Spenny said, I know you want to go to the Premier League. I know you want to do this, but be a top five midfielder in MLS. Like you won't make it to Europe unless you are. And then sure enough, like my last year in 09, I, I made the national team. I was best 11. I, you know, all-star team, like, because I set those goals for myself and I really, I pushed myself to that point. And I was part of a team that won a couple of trophies along the way, which I don't know if you can see this one over my shoulder. I, I like to remind some people that, you know, we won a couple of Is that titles. a trophy? It looks like a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like newspaper commemorating. They didn't let me keep MLS Cup, Jordan. All right. Uh, I just had to. I was right there. Yeah. No, it. well done, Jordan. I, I had to take that. it. You know what? That reminds me. People want to skip the grind, man. They want to they skip do. the grind. Yeah. And pass right through it and say, you know, I don't, it shouldn't be this hard, but like the things that we learn about ourselves in the grind, like you just said, you would never get to where you were if it weren't for those challenges. And it's cool to see you step up and, and get through those and become better because of them. Uh, that first year in Houston, 2006, the club had just moved, correct? From yeah. San Jose yeah. to Houston. It was their first year. It was your first year. You take home MLS cup. There's a newspaper on, on the wall, but. <laughs> If I remember, you took a penalty during the PK shootout to help seal the deal, correct? Yeah, I'm glad you remembered that. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I think I read it behind you is what was happening. <laughs> Playoffs are just in a matter of days here. I want you to describe to people at home listening to this, wherever they are, what that feels like during a penalty shootout as a player on the field. We used to practice penalties in, in training all throughout MLS Cup. So we'd practice after, um, and I strike a cleanish ball. And, you know, I was like a power placement guy. And it was like, this is my spot. I smash it down the middle. And I hope that I break the goalkeeper's wrists, basically. And, you know, we would do it consistently. And it would be Dero, it would be Wando, it would be uh, Kelly Gray, who was a, a great penalty taker, Brad Davis, et cetera. And, you know, Dom kind of had his group of, of guys that he trusted to take penalties. And we never got to penalties until the final. And, of course, I, I wasn't in the game. And um, Dom comes to me with, like, five or six minutes left. And he says, Stu, get ready. Uh, I'm going to sub you in for penalties. Do you, do you want to take a penalty? I'm like, yes, 100%. Like, what, what else are we doing here other than to take a penalty? Let's go. So then Twelman scores. They go ahead. And Dom like shouts down the line. He's like, Stu, you're going in, like get, get in the game now. So I ran straight on the field, straight from kickoff. They pass to Brian Mullen. I do nothing but just get like a 40 yard sprint forward. He crosses it and Ching scores and we tie it. And I look over at Dom. I'm like, what do I do now? Like, who, where am I supposed to go? You know, I'm an MLS cup. I'm a 19 year old. I haven't been in, you know, and he's like Mark Dempsey. So I remember just following Dempsey around the field. I'm like, I don't know what to do except hey, Dom just told me to follow you. So then it comes to penalties and, you know, it was in Dallas. We had a ton of Dynamo fans. The atmosphere was incredible. Like the sun was setting. Uh, it was dusk. It just was like, you know, picturesque. And Dom comes to me and he's like, look, I put you in the game to take a penalty, but do you want to take a penalty? He always wanted the guys to tell him, yes, I'll take it. And I said, yeah, I'd love to take it. I want to go number two because if number one misses, there's less pressure on you. If number one makes it, 
then there's still the same pressure there was before. So like Kelly Gray goes first, he puts it in, the ball comes out, Matt Reese, the goalkeeper comes out and he like, he walks out to the penalty spot and like slams the ball in my chest. And Charlie, you know, Reese, he's like a character, man. He's a jokester. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, you're a little nervous, huh? And I said, no. And he's like, where are you going to put it? You little, and then an expletive, which I don't think we could probably say on this podcast. And I just remember like walking back and putting the ball in the spot. And I was really nervous. I was, I was like, I knew my spot. I'm going to put it there. I, I basically lined up. I was going to smash it down the middle. I looked at the last second and Reese was not going to dive. So I decided to like power blast it kind of off the side of my boot and it goes in the top corner. And I was like, own it, like run back and just like the, you know, like an explosion of emotion. And it was like the best feeling ever. And honestly, I could truthfully tell you in that moment, if we'd lost after that, I might not have been as upset because I made my penalty. So. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I knew what happened and I, and I got so butterflies when you were telling me that story. But um, so 2006, you nailed that penalty. It gives you some confidence, but I feel that 2008 was your coming out party. You and I roomed together at the Olympics. Um, you balled. You scored in the opening match of the tournament against Japan. Uh, we had a, I think we had a stacked team, like a, a stacked team. Um, how important was this tournament for you and your development? Uh, incredibly important. I, I totally agree with you in that the Olympics to me was my first taste of like, we played youth national team tournaments and, you know, we'd done the milk cup and the mountains of cold rain. And, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, when you get to that, that, that setting, Charlie, like you remember the opening ceremony and the flight and going and getting all the gear and, you know, you board these international flights to China and you get off and it's like Olympics everywhere. Like it just makes you feel like you belong and it makes it feel like it's a big deal. And it makes you, it just motivates you beyond any sense of the imagination. It just makes you hungry for more from that. And, you know, they tell you they're, they're European scouts there and they're, you know, we're playing against guys, uh, Drente from uh, Real Madrid, who was at um, playing for Holland and Bobble. And, you know, there, there's just like all these big name players and you get an opportunity to stack up. And I would say in those moments, in those games, I came off after 90 minutes thinking I can hang with these guys. Like we can hang as a country. Like we felt and I still feel and that's why I said I was going to cry after this because I still feel that team had the, had the deck fallen a little bit differently. I know it's a game of inches, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do feel that team could have really made a deep run in that tournament. And you look at the guys that went on to have significant uh, minutes with the national team, Charlie, Josie, Robbie Rogers, Michael Bradley, Moe Du, Michael Parker, Skews, like on and on and on. And I, I do feel that it was also a moment that group of players became a lot closer together and took that next step together. And that's why I feel the Olympics is so important and it still blows my mind that we have not qualified for the Olympics since 2008. Like, come on, guys, let's get it together here. And I do feel that we'll qualify this time around. Uh, I take nothing for granted, but I think you're going to see that next generation do the same thing that we did back in 08, and it, it, it really bodes well for the future of this team. Well, since you mentioned that, before we get into your favorite memory of that trip, I want to know for the these guys that are still waiting to qualify for Tokyo in 2021, what would your best advice be to that group of players with the men's national team, that under 23 group? Qualifying is difficult. Like I still remember we had to go into the game against Canada and, and it's like a one-off. You, you do all this work in the group stage and then you have this one-off game against uh, a, a Canadian team that you were like nervous going into. 
the U.S. team has enough talent to qualify. It, it, it is really about just believing in themselves. And as Charlie pulls out the holding jersey. I thought he had to go to the bathroom. Uh, it, I thought he was out. No, but it, it is about really just, you know, how quickly can they, you know, pull it all together and, and also recognize how important this is for their own careers and make it a goal of theirs that, that they really are going to qualify for this Olympic Games. Yeah, before Charlie does show and tell, because he brought something out with him, let's go favorite memory from the Olympics, That your favorite distinct memory from that Olympic trip. It's 100% my goal, uh, the opening goal against... Can you feel it still thinking about it? Charlie got one? You got another one for me? Well, I thought I was going to say just that opening ceremony, being a part of that. Well, the opening ceremony, undoubtedly. um, Did you guys have hats? Yeah. But it, it was so hot. It was like we were you know, in a microwave. I found, I found an old bag of memorabilia. My mom had shipped out all my stuff to me. And the cap, I'm so bummed. It has like the yellow stains on it. Uh. Uh, but it didn't look good on me anyways. It looked <laughs> um, well, I mean, opening ceremonies, is, I think we, were, we, were, we weren't actually originally going to go to because it was two hours away. And it was like a whole long day. And Peter Novak, we had a game, I think, two days after. But after like us begging for days and days, he, he finally caved. And also it helped that we beat Japan. But I, I will say that that opening game, my first game of the Olympics, my mom and, and my dad, who ended up passing away a year after, like he was in the stands for that game and that moment. And I never forget Marvell Wynn cuts the ball back. Uh, they miscleared it. It falls to me like eight, 10 yards out. And I hit like a swib kick with my left foot and it like kind of skirted under the goalie's uh, uh, you know, his, his outstretched arms. And it, I don't even think it hit the back of the net. It was like, just went in and I celebrated with like airplane into the scrum and I blacked out. And one of my favorite pictures I have, Charlie, I actually need to get it framed is like me on the bottom of the dog pile and everybody on top and just screaming. And then my mom actually told me the story after my dad had passed, but that when that goal went in, the two of them had this like moment where they both looked at each other and like the world stopped around them and she said they just like grabbed each other and were jumping up and down and crying and like that visual in my head just gives me goosebumps still because you you think about that like I have kids now you know I I have kids now and I think about that if that was my daughter or my son and it's it's a memory I carry with me for my dad honestly because it was like his son scored in the Olympics. Like it it was pretty cool to to hear. I don't know if you're trying to make me tear up or what. (laughs) Yeah. That that one, that that one hit me deep. You've done that enough to me in your life. my brother. (laughs) That that one hit deep. Uh, I last year, I got to go to the world cup and capture those moments for Sam Uis, for Lindsay Horan, for Kristen press, for Alyssa Nair. Like I got her family's reactions and I felt like it was so cool because it wasn't about me. It was about them and their get, them getting to see that, right? Like you visualize it and hear that story and live with that story. And I just felt like it was such a gift to be able to give that to them. Yeah, you're so right. And oftentimes I think we get caught in talking X's and O's and, uh, you know, players are robots and they're athletes and, you know, they're professionals. But really behind that, it, it kind of is a theme that we've been talking about today in that you know, the, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the, the, the stuff that people don't see that you did as a youth soccer player to get to where you actually are and to be able to achieve what you did. And that isn't just talent alone. And that is parents hours and hours of driving kids to practices and investment in soccer and cleats and, you know, all that stuff to see it kind of get to that point. You, you take a step back really. And you, 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 you soak up how rare that is. It's, it's pretty cool. And then to have those documented is, is even cooler. And Stu, 
at the conclusion of the 2009 MLS season, your dream comes true. You leave Houston Dynamo after winning two MLS Cups for Bolton Wanderers. The good old Bolton. The good old Bolton Wanderers. Um, Can you talk about that transition? Because, you know, you you obviously felt like you were ready. You had been playing, you know, national team matches. You were a star in MLS. But now the Premier League, something that you've always imagined. What was that, like, first initial training, like that introduction to the squad? Yeah, I'd played my, essentially my whole MLS career to prepare myself to go to Europe. And I think at times Dom Kinnear didn't like the way that I talked about it publicly because he was like, and rightly so, like he did a good job of kind of, and it goes back to what I said before, but he kept me grounded and he kept me hungry and he kept me growing as opposed to looking at what was ahead. And instead of taking the five steps I needed to get there. And so I played out my MLS contract. I, I turned down a new deal every year to make sure I was a free agent. At the end of that 09 uh, year, I had, um, you know, a, a number of clubs that were interested and that there was a ton of talk and, and then an offer never actually formalized. So, so whether it was, you know, I remember it was Blackburn, it was Celtic, it was Rangers. Um, uh, I'm forgetting now the other teams that were in the mix, but Bolton was never really there. And then uh, I played MLS uh, Western Conference final against LA Galaxy. Uh, Owen Coyle had watched that game. He got in, talk, in touch with my agent off of that one game, had never seen me before. And he invited me over to train with Burnley with a view to a contract. And we'd already kind of agreed what the contract would look like. But he's like, I need to see it in person. Like you're playing in this MLS league. And I land in England. And then I find out on the news, Owen Coyle had signed for Bolton as a coach. He'd left Burnley. So I'm in like this hotel in Manchester thinking, like, what am I, like, what does that mean for me? So then he still found the time. He called my agent and said, I want him there day one at Bolton. So it actually made a huge difference for me that I was uh, starting on even playing field with every single player at the club that he'd never worked with up close. And it worked into my favor that, you know, after two weeks of training with them, I got my contract. I didn't play for two or three months with Bolton, but I will say, Charlie, like my, I don't know if you had the same experience at show, but um, when I, when I stepped on that training field with those guys, I was thinking, Holy shit, man, these guys are really good. <laughs> you know, like it, it was it was like a crazy good tempo and every player was so skilled. Every player was an international. Guys were playing for Sweden, Bulgaria, Croatia, uh, Korea, uh, England. You know, there was there was like full internationals everywhere you looked. And I I felt like a headless chicken for the first week of just trying to chase the ball and trying to like keep up and um and then and then I kind of settled in and I I found that I belonged and felt like I belonged. And it took me, I would say, three mo- two months before I actually had my, my debut for the club. And that was against Tottenham away in the Carling Cup. And we had a game, big game at the weekend. So Coyle rotated and was like, here, go get him, Holden. Like, let's let this little yank have a shot here. And I played, we lost 3-0, but I played like lights out and played the best game I think I'd played in, in forever. And then I got to start the next game. And then I went away on international duty and I broke my mm. freaking leg, man. So, um, you know, it, it all kind of, but, but I'd done enough, honestly, in those uh, couple months, I guess, to where as soon as I broke my leg against Holland with De Jong, Owen Coyle called me um, as soon as he found out and he said, we're extending your contract. We're going to sign you to a new three-year deal. And like, you're a big part of my plans and I don't want you to sweat it for a minute. And we're going to give you everything you need to help you get ready for the World Cup. And like, that was 
the biggest weight off my shoulders you can imagine because my contract was going to expire at the end of I think like a month after I broke my leg. So, well, just even that that thought that someone still believes in you in the midst of you feeling so broken and being broken, right? That they would just still say, "Okay, we trust in you. We're giving you this shot. Don't worry about it." Like. I can only imagine how much that meant to you. And um, that's where we're going next. We wanted to talk about that that moment before the World Cup when you break your leg with that De Young tackle. It was reckless. It was difficult to watch from an outsider. Oof. Uh, for you, yeah, difficult is a, probably not the strong enough word. Uh, what were your immediate thoughts? And really, I think what's crazy to all of us is how were you able to recover in time for the World Cup? How were you able to get back? Yeah, it was, it was such a bummer because I, I felt in that moment, um, you know, I, I just started my first couple of games for Bolton. I was on a total high. I got called into the national team again. We're playing against Holland in Amsterdam. I'm starting on the right wing. I was playing a good game to that point. We're nil-nil with, with Holland. And then Landon played me a ball across the middle. I took kind of a heavy touch because I wanted to take it through two defenders. And then here came you know, cleats up De Jong out of nowhere, uh, karate kicking my, my right leg. And um, I felt straight away that it wasn't good. And, you know, I remember walking off with a good friend of Hosh, uh, with Charlie and I's uh, James Hashimoto. Um, the legend. We, we both worked with for a number of years. And it was such a bummer. Honestly, I went straight to a, uh, for a scan and I found out my leg was broken. And I basically at that point was just, devastated because I was I knew that that was March I think um, of that year and the World Cup was in uh, June I think it was it June or July so you know it gave me a really limited time uh, I got back I saw some specialists with Bolton and they said you can either let it heal uh, naturally or we can put a pin in there and that'll help you recover quicker I also had a grade two um, sprain on my MCL because of the way that my knee kind of rolled in when he when he got me and that actually took longer than the the fracture which healed six weeks Uh, I was back on the field I I played one game before the end of the season and then I came into camp with with Bob and Bob and I still talk about this like it took me it probably took me another three weeks of training with the national team probably even into the world cup to where I even felt normal again uh you know back to my best but I felt good enough to be able to contribute and to be there and felt like I could still play in some way but it it was a tough recovery of just you know in the gym every day doing what I could but still being patient with a fracture you just have to let it heal itself so I went from an immense high to a huge low and then it was like as soon as I got over feeling sorry for myself it was grind mode and it was like you can do this and I you know I did everything I could and and thankfully I made it back you did and I I was your number one fan uh cheering you on to to make sure you, you got back in time which, by the way, says says a lot for you as a person, man, because uh, you were you were going through your own struggle at that time and and working your way back. And I, I think I commend your ability as a friend to be able to root for your friend who's going through a different type of struggle than you were. And I I'll never forget when you called me after Bob called you and and said that look, Charlie, you're not going to make it this you know for for in time for the World Cup and. You were devastated and I remember crying with you, but I remember you also knowing that you weren't ready at that point, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but you'd set that goal for yourself and that pushed you and it kept you going. So I, I still, to this day, appreciate, you know, your ability to support your friends, even when you're going through so much. That's what it's about. Charlie was kind of there though. I feel like I've asked that we asked this when we talked to Mo too. Did you kind of feel like Charlie's presence was still amongst you guys? 
Yeah, I mean, the stanky leg was like, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I did that with Mo and, uh, and Eddie. I think we did that after that goal against the Czech Republic. And that was like an homage to, to Chuck Deasy. Like his, he has such an infectious character and spirit. And, uh, you know, as much as we were all devastated for him, it, it, you felt like in a way, you know, you owed it to him to like, to carry that. I mean, he was, he was my roommate, man. You know, we had so many great memories together through this. And uh, I, I still just crack up in my head at a number of them. So <laughs> That'll be your return. That'll be your return episode. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not all the stories, but some of them. So you, you come back of the, the 2010, 2011 season, you're, you're flying. You're in the form of your, of your career. I, I remember some of the goals you were scoring and, and how much ground you were covering each match. You were an established player in the side for Bolton. And people were, t- were talking about you all across the world, right? You, you're this American player who's um, really just done wonders for, for Bolton. And, and you've kind of, were, were kind of at the, the forefront of, of the success when it came to how Bolton were continuing to move up the table, right? So we're in March, 2011. You're playing Manchester United, a club that your father supported, your your grandfather supported, like the club of all clubs, a club I know heading into that match, you told me, hey, this is man, I need to show that I'm, I'm at this level. Um, if a win would have put you in sixth position in, in the table, uh, jumping Liverpool, then the tackle from Johnny Evans. What do you remember about that play? Yeah, I, I remember all of that that you were talking about. Uh, I remember being in the best form of my career. I remember our team just being on fire. I think we were on pushing for European places at sixth. Uh, I remember walking out at Old Trafford um, for the warm-ups, thinking this is like I've, I've come to 15 games here as a kid. This would be you know my dad's dream. Uh, my grandpa was there. My brother was there. Uh, you know, it was – it was a, a, a bucket list moment for me. And then when the game started, it, you, you know how it is. You guys both know it's just like you're, you're blinders, you're in it. Um, I was playing really well. We were nil nil with them. And I think the 79th minute and then Chungi played me a pass. It kind of skipped uh, a little further away. He overhit it a little bit on the wet grass. And I remember seeing Johnny Evans coming. I also remember thinking if I tackle him, if I win the ball here, I'm cleaning on goal in the 80th minute and I might have a chance to win the game for Bolton at Old Trafford and probably just retire. Um, and uh, yeah, it was I, all I remember next is just this big thud. And then I looked down at my, my knee and my knee was wide open. I could see inside. I could see the, like the cartilage and the ligaments and like all this stuff. Like it was, you, you know, it's like that type of injury when all the, your teammates come over to check on you and then they're like, Oh, trainer. Um, so I just remember everybody coming on. There's a ton of people over the top of me. I got on the stretcher off down the tunnel, getting inspected in the back room. Um, and you know, Sir Alex Ferguson comes in and, uh, all these people will come and check on me. And I remember the, the doctor there like kind of looking, he's like, I think you just have a nasty cut. Like we're going to sew it up and you'll be, you'll be good to go. So I said, okay. And then we went to the hospital that night and then I had a CT scan and that was the moment that I knew, you know, when you have like all these doctors around and they're yeah. all kind of off to the side and they're all like pointing at things and kind of like gossiping and like, you know, uh, pointing yeah. at- but not telling you anything. Yeah. yeah. Not telling me anything. I'm lying there on this table. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're like, we need to, we need to do another scan and we're not going to know, know to the morning. Well, I go back to my apartment, uh, 
I'm there waiting that night and our team doctor is like, Hey, I'm going to call you with the results. So then it's the next day now at noon. And he's like, he calls me and I said, Hey doc, how's it going? He goes, uh, can you let me in? I'm outside. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> uh, so he came up and, and basically told me that, uh, I had a fracture of my knee joint and that a piece of bone had chipped off the back because of the way that he tackled me and the force and the angle at which my knee was at. And that um, then they didn't find out till I actually had the surgery when they opened me up that they had to put a pin into the back of the knee. And it just kind of got really complicated from there. And I don't know how much time we have left here for me to just like go on and on about it. But it was, uh, it was a real blow to me. I, I was in, in retrospect, I don't think I recognized it at the time, but I definitely was depressed off of that because I think I recognized how hard that injury was and how difficult it was going to be for me to get back on the field and do what I had just been doing for the last year. Uh, like like the, our whole stories uh, intersect and, and um, we, we've been by each other's side uh, throughout our whole careers. I remember this moment like it was yesterday. Um, you go through this intense rehab for six months to finally get back on the field. Uh, you were starting in a League Cup match versus Aston Villa. Um, and, and, you, and this is what your manager, Owen Coyle, had to say after the win. For Holden to play at the level and intensity he did was remarkable in the circumstances and looked to have a nice balance. As a manager, you want to pick a team on form. And a few of those players have put themselves in real contention for a place against Arsenal on Saturday. That's your first start after being out six months. You called me after the match and you said your knee blew up like a balloon. Yeah, no, I remember remember that vividly. Um, My first game, I bossed it, (laughs) humble brag. Uh, I felt so good to be back out there. And then... Yeah, my knee the next day was was swollen like a balloon. I went uh, to training and then I basically had two or three days off. I traveled with the team to Arsenal and then was still on the game day roster and, and Coyle was going to start me. I was doing a fitness test that day in the gym and I remember just kind of walking around the gym and it just it just didn't feel good and I just said, I, I can't play this game. So bad that my knee was so swollen for the whole week that then I stayed down in London to get a scan uh, with the doctor, my surgeon. And they, they looked at it and they said, you know what? It looks like your pin's actually starting to back out of your knee a little bit. And they're like, we just need to go in there and we need to fix it. And we'll pull the pin out. You'll be out for four to six weeks. So Coyle's furious that the doctors had taken so long to kind of recognize that and that we should have taken it out before. And then I'm, you know, disappointed, but I'm also like, that's four to six weeks, like not a big deal. So I go in for surgery on the Tuesday. So this is like the Saturday game was the Arsenal game. Tuesday, I go in for surgery. I wake up from surgery two hours later, supposed to be a short procedure, and found out that the pin had backed out so far that it had cut up all the cartilage on my knee joint and that they had just gone ahead, which I'm still a little, uh, honestly, a little frustrated about. I've never really talked about it too much, but they just did a microfracture procedure on my knee without asking me. So I found out and I woke up when the nurse was like, hey, we need to fit you for crutches. Uh, And I was like, what? Want crutches? And they're like, yeah, the doctor will be in in a minute. And he comes in and tells me that I'm going to be out for a year because he did microfracture. So I go in expecting to be out for six weeks. I come out finding out that I'm going to be out for a year. And like that, if you think about the, the previous one being a gut punch, like that was like ultimate just, you know, I had to sit on that knee machine. I had to do, you know, I, I couldn't weight bear on my leg for eight weeks. Um, you know, I ended up flying back to uh, Houston to do some of that rehab. But that was like, 
that was just so tough to hear to, to get that news, like after you're not expecting it and, and realize how long you're actually going to be out. Well, and it's just, it's crazy to think that that's your life and it would, should have been your decision and, and it wasn't. And so I just, that hurts me knowing that that was just done for you. Would things have been different had you known before? Like what would have, I, what, what would have happened? I think, I think either it would have been two things. I, I might've had to do the same procedure, but I would have done it uh, with back in the States. I would have done it with a different doctor. I would have done it with, you know, somebody that I know and trust that was an expert in that. And I think that was what was frustrating that I didn't even have a choice in that. And, um, you know, even going, it was the surgeon that did the original pin on my, on my knee and that clearly wasn't a good job. So, you know, I I think I would have rather knowing that I would have to be out for that long. I would rather have had a second opinion to know and fully understand what I had to go through before actually doing it. And that's, that's, that's a tough thing for athletes. You know, sometimes you don't, even in that's in, in that scenario, it's a lot of pressure to, to have to make those decisions yourself when you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And you, and you have to trust, like you, it, you have to trust other people when for so long as athletes, we've been doing it all by ourselves. And so I think that, um, what hurts me is like having these conversations and hearing all these things, not to mention those injuries, but you, you then had back-to-back ACL injuries as well. Um, I mean, yeah, we've how all gone. You, how many have you had Jordan? You had, oh, yeah. I've, had, I, I've had four now. <laughs> four ACLs? Yeah. Yeah. On top I had th- of all the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I only have three, so I'm going to keep it that way. If that's cool with you, <laughs> yeah. you can have the prize. Um, but looking at you two guys and knowing what you've gone through, um, in, in my story myself, I think it's really just shows of like athletics and playing a sport are, is really freaking awesome. Right. And we get opportunities that like really drive us and really set our heart on fire. But there are sometimes some prices that we pay as well. Um, I, am just curious how you dealt with them mentally and maybe what was the hardest for you or, um, what you learned about yourself in those trials, because that is like the heart of probably who you've become. Yeah. It's something Charlie and I actually talk about all the time. I feel like half our phone conversations, we end up getting to this theme and, I, I, I try to, and I know Charlie's the same. We're positive people. We, we look at the positive side of whatever comes and whatever adversity that you have and you make the most of it. And you look for these themes throughout your life. I'm not the person I am today without those experiences. And do I wish they'd gone differently? Of course. Like I wish I was still playing. I'm 35 years old. Like I, I should be in the center midfield, you know, with Charlie yes. up top. And, and 100%. You know, it's, just, it's, it's the Dell. It's the, uh, the hand we were dealt and you know, it's how you respond to that. It's how you deal with it. That makes you who you are. And I chose in those moments to feel sorry for myself and to cry and for only a short period of time and get it all out. And then I was fully focused on getting back and I surrounded myself with people that provided the the positivity and the support that I needed and helped me, kept me grounded at the same time and realistic, but also pushed me to get back. And I feel like now one of my greatest traits as a person is, is part of that. And, and, you know, is, is that adversity and it is that character that has become from that. And I, I fully believe that I'll pass that on to my kids and those experiences and being thankful for what you have and not getting caught up in the moment of, of what's coming next instead of, you know, being appreciative and, and finding ways in which you can impact others as well. So, Look at you, um, you talking with so much it. passion that you're starting to sweat. <laughs> It's so hot. Like, I'm under the staircase. You said still, what bro. comes next and you're, you're over here sweating. <laughs> like, are you okay? Yeah, no, 
Yeah, I'm, a little bit. I'm getting, I'm getting emotional. No, it, it happens. It happens to the best of them, uh, right, Jordan? So, yeah, uh, it, it is yeah. though, Jordan. To your point, how how you how you handle that, I think that 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 shows who you are. Because I know many people and many other former athletes and teammates have come up to me and talked about that um, and talked openly about the fact that they couldn't handle that and that kind of was the end for them. And uh, I, I saw it as a challenge in a sick, twisted way. I think <laughs> you have you have to to get through it. Yeah. It's got it's got to be sick and twisted. I think too, I just acknowledge you for saying like, looking back now that you think that you are depressed, because I definitely felt like that in my recoveries as well. And I think that the more we can tell people as us as athletes that we felt those feelings and to go get help and to acknowledge that that's not, it, it doesn't isolate, it shouldn't isolate you, it should allow you to um, find comfort that other people maybe have felt that same way that I think that was really brave of you to say. And I know there's a lot of people maybe listening that um, we'll go and get help because it's okay to get help, right? It's okay to lean on other people in these moments of trial. Yep. It's exactly right. And, and while I, you know, probably could self-diagnose now, uh, I think that my actions, I'm proud of the way that I was able to get through that and, and talking to the right people as far as my friends and, you know, my, my doctors and support staff, as far as like my surgeon and PT and all these people that were kind of aligned and recognize in moments when I need a week off, I need to go travel. I need to go see my family. I need to go somewhere with my girlfriend who then turned into my wife. Um, and you know, it, it's all those different ways that I think I look back and I'm extremely thankful for that. So what's the weather right there now? Uh, well, under here, it's about yeah. 110, I think. Yeah, <laughs> It's, it's only going to get hotter, right? It's getting hotter. <laughs> it's getting hotter because you're about to get a nice, nice introduction to our hot seat. Welcome to the hot seat. Many have come, many have conquered, but there have been some who faltered. So I hope you're, you're informed. You, you, we brought you on the show because you're informed. Let's see how you, how you handle these. Favorite goal you ever scored? Oh, there's some tough choices. Uh, you didn't score that many. Relax. Yeah, um. but like, you know, <laughs> my favorite goal I ever scored for the club team was Bolton yep. against Black. My favorite national team goal, without a doubt, is against Haiti. A banger from deep. Holden lets it fly in the corner. Yeah! Holden just takes his opportunity, makes the most of it. Fantastic goal by Stuart Holden. Uh, we're... Charlie didn't even celebrate. He ran straight to the goal and got the ball and ran back and was like, let's go. We're only tying here. Yeah, we're not tying. We're not tying Haiti and celebrating here in Foxborough, which it was, Definitely a, it was a great out. night. Yeah. Goal, yeah, yeah. Uh, best tackle you've ever made and who was on the other end of it? Uh, I wish I could say Johnny Evans, uh, but uh, best tackle I've ever made would be against Luka Modric in the uh, Premier League when we played Spurs. Name drop. Uh, he tried to juke me. He got passed, and I just slid tackled and just took him to the deck, and we had a breakaway, and I'll never forget the feeling. So oh, that just pumps <laughs> me up too. The best, yeah. Um, who was the best manager you've played under? Best manager, I'd say Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. Um, Bob, Bob just had such a way of, I think, communicating the game. And I felt like every time I left the camp, I learned something. Um, and, you know, I, I played for some really good coaches, Dom Kinnear, Bob Bradley, uh, Owen Coyle as well, all good in their own ways. And I think Dom's a great coach, but Bob just had, had something special. 
favorite sneakers? Nike, uh, Nike, anything. Nike Sakai's. Let's go with the Sakai's. I, I love the Sakai's. I have a question about the off whites. Do you yeah. the tag on the shoe or what do you do with that? <laughs> I cut the tag off the off whites and Charlie and Mo uh, nearly keeled over and like. <laughs> I posted a picture with the off-whites on the other day and I got a straight text from Mo with the picture and he's like, S- you know, SMH, cut the tag off. What is wrong with you, man? That he's- he, he texted me. He's like, Stu texted me a picture of, of the off-whites with the red tag. And he's like, do you, these are so annoying. Like, do you cut them off? Like, what do you, what do, you do with them? And I said, yeah, you just, you just cut, clip them off. It's no problem. And he's like, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And I said, yeah, do it. He, the next picture he sends me. You and I—I should have known you. Charlie, he trusted you. Is what it is. It gets in the way. It gets in the way. I'm not a sneakerhead. I'm not a sneakerhead. If you weren't doing TV as an occupation, what would you be doing? If I wasn't doing television, I I think I would enjoy. I I love being involved in soccer, so I think it would have to be something soccer. I I would love to be, I think, one day a a, you know club president is is some is kind of a goal for me. Um, It's something would interest me, but I I know there's a number of steps to getting to that point. But uh, not for me right now. Not not right now. I love what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, say you're a singer. Whose voice would your would you want yours to sound like? If you could pick any singer, um, maybe like uh, Britney Spears. Mm. Are you for real? <laughs> I actually stop knew it. you were going to choose a like woman's voice. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, like stop it with that. You're, there's no way you're going to be Britney Spears. Um, which team that you were a part of that had the best banter? Uh, oh, man. <clears throat> I would say that Bolton team. There's something about British humor, like the – that that sorry, it like fits right into my banter levels to a thousand. Like there's like a thousand stews. Was on there the team. a certain was there a certain year though? Was it that Yeah, the first that first year. It was like that first uh, year. Robbie Blake, Matt Matt Taylor. Uh I mean there was just like complete characters that just caused total chaos. Klas- was Klasnich I, I was on that team? Yeah, Klasnich, like yeah. Oh, I can tell stories on that for hours. Yeah. For the for the return. For the return. Okay, perfect. Uh Will you bring the frosted tip back, tips back ever? Are the frosted tips making a reappearance? I, it's a yes or no? No, it, it's a, it's a maybe. I, I think at some point I might have hit like a midlife crisis and just like tip it up. So I don't. I would go. Ever... I would go full blonde. Full blonde? Yeah, like full, like hardcore of you white blonde. I think yeah, it would look I'm good. Down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. Heath Pierce did that recently. I feel like. Yeah, like maybe two years ago. I mean, I just got a haircut. I kind of dig in the the natural yeah. look right you now. Got a game but... tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's game day, baby. Let's go. So you, you and Kara, you get to go on a date in uh, in LA. W- which restaurant are, are you taking her to? Taking her to. Uh, you're gonna give away all my hot spots here now. My, uh, it's tasting, your choice. You can tasting you kitchen, can tasting yeah. kitchen on Abbey Kinney. Bomb. I we took you there, Charlie. Yeah, it was bomb. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, "Nah, this isn't going to be what it's supposed to be." Right. I remember you drank the bu- uh, you drank them dry with wine. I think. No, I would oh, never do that. Charlie. <laughs> not Charlie. Not um, Charlie. All right. Favorite game you got to call in the 2018 World Cup? Outside of the world, the final. Don't give me the final. final doesn't count. Yeah, no. Come on. Best game. Final. Yeah. Give me the best yeah. game outside of the final. Oh, easy. Uh, Spain, Portugal, three three. Ronaldo, Ronaldo, like 88th minute free kick. Wild. Tie. Uh, 
I, I still remember that game. It was one of my favorite games I've ever called. It was like a, a night in Sochi, uh, you know, late game, crazy tempo, two sick teams, and like going head to head. And Ronaldo, of course, like steps up in an 85th minute. And you're like, he can't do this, right? Yeah, of course he can. <laughs> um, well, awesome. you conquered the hot seat. Uh, well, job well done. Uh, and we want to thank you, Stu. Stu Holden, Fox Soccer, the top analyst. You can follow him on all his social channels. Uh, one of my one of my nearest, dearest, closest, best friends, brother. Uh, I look at him as uh, a brother, somebody who, who means a great deal to me. So thanks for joining us, Stu Holden. Yeah, brother, thanks so much, I Stu. I appreciate both of you guys uh, having me on. I, I'm glad I finally got the call up. I'm, I'm stoked for this game tomorrow. And, uh, you know, the national team, men's national team, are back. Good things on the horizon. Life is starting to slowly normalize again. And uh, great to see both your faces. Jordy, that was amazing. Uh, oh, a big shout out to Stu Holden. Uh, what are some of your key takeaways? Well, his underground layer one or under <laughs> stairs layer. I yeah. feel like we all need one of those. Yeah. I'm just in my bedroom, like next to my bed. It's maybe one day, maybe one day I'll have one of those. Gosh, there's so many things, but I really, I think it goes back to that description of him with the Houston Dynamo. I was just like into that. And how he was describing how that was such a big part of his career when he did so many big things beyond that. Um, so that and just like hearing him talk about his parents in the stands, like, can you imagine? I mean, you have kids. Can you imagine what that would be like? No, I hope for it one day. And and I know I knew his father, Brian, um, very well. And his mother, Moira, is is, is just a, a, such the sweetest lady. And so I know how much they care about Stu and you know, he's one of my best friends for a reason because he, he's just a, he's a great person. And we've always been there for each other every step of the way. Uh, you know, we have that unbreakable bond, right? There's nothing in this world that would break us apart. So um, it's always great to hear from him and, and, you know, just hearing about his story, just being informed and then going through, uh, you know, a, a knee break and getting back, working so hard to get back. And then six months later, you're told you got to sit out another year, right? And so, you you add up all Not those by your years choosing, on the bench, like, right? Oh like, gosh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's rough, but it is. We move on, like he said. We, we mm -hmm. look at the positives, and the positives yeah, are do. the U.S. men's national team are back in action. Woo! We're finally getting a chance to see this this crew uh, together on the pitch. So first they take on Wales, and then Panama. Uh, it's soccer. With the men's national team. I don't know. And I think that's what is most exciting about it. I'm I'm excited to see this group of players who have never been together in this form take on these two nations and just to really see what they look like. So I think it's hard to pinpoint something exactly. I mean, there's a few players that I'm eyeballing and like want to see. I'm excited mm -hmm. to see them in with his squad. But I just feel like the the idea of the men's national team playing in these friendlies it almost feels like it has like a little bit more weight to me i don't know why yeah no it does it's just because you know we haven't had we're it we're looking at potential right and, yeah. and now we get it on the field it's no it's mm -hmm. no more just names on a list right or or right. a piece of paper now we're going to actually see them tested for the first time so yeah. seeing tyler adams at the defensive midfield position we finally get to see it. At least let's that's go. What, I, what I'm hoping for. So let's go. Exactly. 
Um, okay, you guys, there, you got a game to watch today or whatever you're listening to this. Make sure you check out the men's national team over on FS1. And come back soon. We'll be breaking down lots about these games and maybe some updates on the U.S. women's national team as well. And as always, be sure to listen, rate, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Bye, Charlie. See ya.